the Go Gopher podcast with Mike Grimm, episode number 78. I am Mike Grimm, voice of the Golden Gophers, and welcome back to the podcast. It's our pleasure to welcome back to the Go Gopher podcast, Golden Gopher Director of Sports Psychology, Dr. Carly Anderson. We spoke with her on the podcast in May. That was Mental Health Awareness Month. We spoke about the importance of removing the stigma that asking for help on mental health issues was somehow a negative. Today, we're going to continue with some of that as a backdrop and talk more specifically on how the mind of an athlete can oftentimes be the difference in a powerful, productive performance or an underachieving, disappointing performance. Our conversation hits on a ton of issues revolving around sports psychology and its relationship to performance. Our Go Gopher podcast is presented by alumni-owned Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're a business founder planning to exit your business, start by contacting Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. Sunbelt serves more businesses up to $5 million in revenue than anyone. And True North M&A serves companies with revenues up to $150 million. Get a confidential, no-cost, no-obligation business valuation started today. Hey, make the most of your life's work. Visit sunbeltminnesota.com or tnma.com today. No one is better than Brian Slipka and his entire team at True North. Servant leadership at its finest. We're always honored to be able to talk about them and share the company story. We're also glad to be affiliated with Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union on the Go Gopher podcast. Affinity Plus is your local credit union throughout the entire state of Minnesota. You can find out more at affinityplus.org slash go gophers. Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union, one of the very best gopher supporters and your local credit union. It's our pleasure to thank Affinity Plus for agreeing to be with us for another year as a primary sponsor for this school year. Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union does things right, and it's my pleasure to talk about what great people do when they lead a great company. Our podcast is also sponsored by State Farm agent Tony Hoagland at champlininsurance.com. We're podcasting episode 78 from the Aquarius Home Services Studios. We invite you to subscribe to the Go Gopher podcast as well. It's free to do so at any time and free to listen to any podcast at any time. You can go back and listen to past Go Gopher podcasts from previous weeks. Last week, for example, we took a behind-the-scenes look into Gopher men's hockey with Minnesota sophomore forward Connor Kurth. It was a phenomenal conversation. You'll enjoy it. Go back and listen. This week, it's episode number 78, and we talk sports performance psychology with Dr. Carly Anderson when we come back. I'm Clay Geary, walk-on, turn scholarship, wide receiver for Gopher football. And I'm Ben Utech, U of M alumni, Super Bowl champion, and Tony Dungy Uncommon Award winner. We understand championship culture, which is why we're part of the True North family of companies. True North invests in only elite teams like the champion team at Sunbelt Business Advisors, Minnesota's largest seller of companies. To learn more about True North and our diverse family of independently owned companies, visit truenorthequitypartners.com. Hi, Gopher fans. Switching is easy. We do it all the time. We switch on lights. We switch TV channels. We switch on the TV. And with the new transfer portal, some college students even switch colleges, which can seem crazy to us diehard fans. But what's not crazy is how you can switch and save with State Farm. In fact, my agency can switch you over so we can start saving today. My team is ready to welcome you to the State Farm neighborhood and show you it is, in fact, easy to switch and save. When you want the real deal, check us out at champlininsurance.com. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. It's episode number 78, the Go Gopher podcast here with Mike Grimm. It's my pleasure to welcome back to the show. It wasn't that long ago we had Dr. Carly Anderson, Director of Sports Psychology, with us back in May when it was yep. mental 
Health Awareness Month. And we said then that we'd like to have you back in July to talk uh, another facet of sports psychology. So first of all, good to see you again, and thanks for coming back. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I didn't scare you away, huh? The first time <laughs> well... around. Yeah. <laughs> um, we talked a lot on mental health back then, and we'd invite, certainly uh, as we talked during that episode, mental health um, is a is a daily, year-round issue, not just a month of May issue, but that's the month that we've picked to kind of raise awareness and and try to end uh, some of the stigmas that go with it, that it's okay to ask for help. We covered all that. If people haven't heard it, they can go back. It's episode 71, so it was about six episodes ago if they want to listen to that. And it's timely any day of the year just because it was in May and it was during mental health. So um, we'll set that as a little bit of a backdrop. Um, and when we talked at the end of that episode, we said, uh, you know, let's come back in July and talk more on maybe the other end of the spectrum in in. In, in my layman's terms, in terms of when I think of mental health, I think, okay, you have, uh, you know, issues with your mind that, uh, that, that are causing some struggles. Uh, when I think of sports psychology, and again, this is just, uh, you know, I'm thinking, what does a doctor do to create great performance through mental toughness and strength through the mind? Certainly that's all interwoven. Um, but is there a kind of differences between those? Do you do you differentiate? Absolutely, there is a difference, and there is a whole um, body of literature and research and, and a professional field around purely the performance of psychology or the psychology of performance. Mm -hmm. And you know, while we think of it as sport psychology. It's really performance psychology. So whether you're oh. in a business realm, you know, you're giving a public speech, you're, uh, you know, in a orchestra, playing a musical instrument, theater. Um, there's so many domains and realms of performance that we all do in all of our lives in realms as humans that have the psychology component or the mental game side to it. And so uh, absolutely, as particularly in a college D1 level all these athletes are well-trained, they're talented, they're hardworking, they've got great coaches, they're physically, you know, well-trained at this level and at many levels in, in sport, but also performance realms, the delineator between those who are already good and those who are exceptionally great is usually mental. Mental. Can you, can you get the job done? Are you prepared to take on the challenges, handle the adversity, respond, all that stuff, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. How do you handle the pressure? How do you handle nerves? How do you, how do you, when, how do you handle distractions? When do you focus and how do you focus and what's your motivation and your goals and your imagery and all of that? Yeah. And, and so if somebody uh, maybe on that side of it is is strong and they're going, you know, going well. Um, and then you have someone who maybe is struggling at other areas of mental health and also trying to perform. Then that creates an additional layer. Is that would, oh, would you say that's right? Then it's right on. And uh, you know, I think a great example is I've had um, I have two that come to mind. One in particular, years ago, I had a runner who a distance runner who was routinely passing out and fainting during races and couldn't complete the race. So wow. performance goals. We're obviously not not achieving them. Um, and at first it seemed to be, you know, oh, physically you seem fine, healthy. Um, maybe this is just mental. You, you, you know, get nervous or something. Um, and anyway, we, we sort of realized it was actually a more significant generalized anxiety condition that once we started treating the generalized anxiety overall, this athlete's ability to perform under pressure 
also significantly improve. Wow. On the flip side, you can have athletes that come in who um, are dealing with confidence or focus issues, and you may think, oh, okay, that's typical mental side of sport. Yeah. And let's work on all, you know, on how we um, think of confidence and, and build that skill set um, for an athlete and think about focus. And then sometimes you might find several weeks or, or months and, oh, this is actually, those can also be common symptoms of depression. Sure. And so you need to be able to rule that out and know what's what. And yeah. they can easily, over the course of a career, go for athletics. Or um, I have some national team athletes that have been on a national team for a decade that over the course of a lifetime, it can ebb and flow where you might have had some depression or some difficulty with transitioning into college as a first year. Uh, and then now as a fifth year senior, you're really wanting to make the best of your last year and, and it's all psychological. Sure. And they're going to use sports psych for both. Yeah. And I suppose there's two um, things where, uh, when I say two, I mean also things where you may have someone who's totally comfortable and confident on the court or on the field. Um, but maybe have things in their personal life, whether it's relationships or parental pressures or whatever, that um, that, that could kill confidence, right? Where you're, yeah, where you're handling things that aren't even related to sports but can impact that. Yes, expectations is a big one that we mm -hmm. see with athletes um, and performers of all levels, ages, where it might be parental expectations. It might be their own expectations. It might be the team's expectations. Uh, it could be a societal kind of media messages. Mm -hmm. Oh, you were the defending champion. You know, you're expected to, that kind of thing that can really weigh on, on athletes and performers. Yeah. And so part of what you and your staff do is help uh, athletes navigate their way through these trials and tribulations to try to hit peak performance. So before we go further with that, um, and if people missed the first episode back on episode 71, let's just set another backdrop in terms of what your office is, um, how many um, uh, uh, co-workers do you have in that office, and kind of what the goal or the mission statement, so to speak, is for, for you guys. Yeah. So we're, um, we're actually a contracted group. We're a private practice premier sports psychology here in the Twin Cities. And we're contracted actually with several sport organizations and athletic departments here in the cities. Um, but Go for Athlete, Athletics is one of them. And uh, we're, we're fortunate this organization. We love it here. So we have um, several sports psychologists that work uh, in-house here in athletics, partly to also give athletes and sports a variety of, of which, you know, uh, psychologists they might work with or professional because, uh, you know, you want to have different backgrounds. Sometimes yeah. somebody wants to work with a male or a female or, or whatnot. So um, right now we have about five of us that split time to be able to service all the athletes over 600 and all yeah. the teams. Wow. And you have office space right here. Yep. And, and as we record just down the hallway, we're at our little podcast studio here in, in the Beerman facility. And, and so you can spend as much time here on campus as, as, as time allows and, and help with that. Yeah. And actually there's research from the NCAA that shows that is important for the utilization of sports psych services by athletes. They want, they want the convenience. They feel that you're in their world. They yeah. get your world, um, or they that you get their world, and um, that the access is easy. And the fact that they under that they know you understand the world of sports is important in them being even willing to seek out the services and utilize it. So, so talking specific to the performance side of it and the mental part of that, what are some and again, you don't have to get real specific, but what are some things that, that are typical issues that college athletes face regardless of sport? What are the things mostly you deal with, would you say? The number one thing I see with our college athletes, but I see it with elite athletes too, is they are putting too much focus and emphasis on the outcome mm -hmm. and the results. 
that is all they're thinking about and focusing on is the significance and the meaning and, and the stakes rather than focusing on just the controllable process. How are we going to go about doing this? What are the, the tasks and steps that I have to do? And let's just go crush it on that. Yeah. And so subsequently, as a result of over-focusing too much on the outcome is they tend to then go into a situation, a performance competition, feeling highly anxious and worried because, oh my gosh, what if I don't get this outcome mm-hmm. or these results? What's that going to mean? What is that going to mean for my self-worth? What's it going to mean for my value on the team? What's it going to mean for my playing time, my scholarship, my ego, all these, my reputation, right? All of yeah. these things that have now gotten sort of hooked or hinged to outcome and results. And we, these athletes are and they've been doing it for many years, it's very easy in our society to base your self-worth and your value purely on outcome. Yeah. Well, then no wonder you feel <laughs> panicky and anxious yeah. when you go to perform because there's so much riding on it. When in fact, when you ask athletes and you really think about how much control, full control, do we really have on guaranteeing the result or the outcome? Yeah. We don't have 100%. Not a lot, right. No. Right. If we had 100%, we'd all be Olympians. Yeah. We'd all be multimillionaires, we'd all be right? And, yeah, yeah, we'd all be living the dream. <laughs> we don't. Yeah. So then then you have asked athletes explore, okay, I have a fear of failure. This fear of not getting a certain outcome and result. And now I'm playing and competing and performing not to fail. Mm-hmm. <gasps> we clench, yeah. right? And tense yeah. up. And and that then you think about, oh my gosh, well if I don't have full control over the outcome, well, that's scary. Yeah. No wonder I have a lot of fear. That outcome can move on us. There's factors that contribute to outcome that are out of our control. Injury is a great example. Yeah. Weather, equipment, coaches' decisions, people's opinion, all sorts of things impact. Luck, luck is a big piece. Mm-hmm. So if you then ask athletes, well, if we were to base our self-worth and our sense of confidence – and our value, and measure it more on our controllable pieces like work ethic, mm-hmm. preparation, communication, creativity, problem-solving ability, heart, you know, work, strength and conditioning yeah. work, come into sports, I can put in a lot into it to get a lot out of it. If you ask athletes, what are the things of the percentage of the result that you do have control over, like those things, yeah. and if you were to Measure yourself on how well you do that stuff. What would that be like? Most athletes are like, oh, yeah, I feel like I could do that. Yeah. I have actually pretty good control over that. Yeah, I could give myself a scale of one to five, five, crushing it, one, whoop, forgot about it. Yeah, I think I could actually, I could probably get three, three and a half, fours, and five sometimes on that stuff. Then you say, how do you feel going into the competition? They will say, I feel much less anxious. Yeah. I feel higher belief in myself because now they're focusing on, I don't have to worry so much about the outcome. All I got to do is go in and give my best effort on the controllable stuff and crush it on my process and let the outcome come. And whatever the outcome is, is going to be a byproduct of my best effort. Now, athletes will still come to you and say, but what if my best effort isn't good enough? And you say, let's just remove the judgment, the good. Let's not judge. We're, We're all judgy enough of ourselves. If your effort, if it's a byproduct, sorry, if the outcome is a byproduct, of your best effort, it's enough. Yeah. Live with whatever the outcome is, right? That's all you can ask of yourself. Now, does that mean that we're not going to get back to the the facility and work and train and try to get better? Of course not. 
It's just that at Tuesday at 3.30, whatever outcome we got in that moment, that was a byproduct of our best effort. That's all we can ask of ourselves. And, not a but, and we can still be getting better. Right. So it, there's, there is some irony in if I were to come to you and say, Dr. Carly, um, I want to win. Help me win. Your initial answer generally might be, don't worry about winning. Worry about preparing to win. Right? In a, in a weird way, right? It, it, it's honoring fantastic goal. Yeah. And how. How are we going to go about doing that? Which, you know, Coach Fleck really emphasizes with their how yeah. um, philosophy around their program is let our byproducts come. Let the outcome come. They are so process driven. And right? let's focus on the yeah. process. Because you can only control what you can control. Right. And at the end of the day, if if you control what you control, you put in all the effort you can put in and the outcome still isn't favorable, then you just... Try your best the next time, right? And you get to walk away in pride, yeah. knowing you played all your cards, you did everything you could, and the percentage of outcome you have control over, you did. Yeah. And it still stinks, and you might be mad oh, or yeah. disappointed or, oh, yeah. man, you know, I yeah. was there. But it, it also leads, I would think, to some uh, some self-worth that, yeah, there was still value to what we did there, and now we can move on to the next to the next game, the next practice, the next weightlifting right. session, whatever. That's right. And it's the science behind growth mindset and resiliency. Yeah. And so when you asked me what's one of the main things, that is a skill, a mindset that I try really hard. We all try hard in sports psych to teach and help our athletes and body and our coaches. Yeah. And I, I think generally, as I think about through the coaches, Fleck is this way. They, they talk about the process. I think Hugh McCutcheon over the years has talked about that. Brad Frost over the years has talked about that, that um, – you know, you just continue to, and others, I'm not trying to leave anybody out. Those come to mind right off the bat that you just, um, you just continue to put in the work. I mean, PJ is so processed. I mean, it's down to the schedule every day and this is the process and we'll be ready to kick it off at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning and see how it goes. But um, generally, I think that is, you can see a, a theme there that that's the push. Absolutely. And I also just want to honor how difficult that is. You know, coaches are, are constantly under pressure around outcome and results. Our academic system measures you on an outcome Grades. and result. Yeah. You don't get a grade based on how long you persisted on that math problem. Right. You get a grade based on did you get it right or wrong on the outcome. Mm -hmm. Sports massively. Sometimes there's cultural messages about what have you achieved. You know, in our society, often the first question, nice to meet you, Mike, what do you do? Yeah. Right. Rather than tell me about some of the values and things that are important to you. Yeah. So it's cultural. There's layers of this onion that make it increasingly hard for young people, all of us, to easily focus on the process and yeah. make that the priority. And sometimes, too, it's just it is how it works. Like I'm, as an example, I could put in a thousand – I could practice a thousand free throws – and feel great about that. And if I'm going to probably shoot free throws against the best free throw shooter on the gopher team, and he went and practiced for five minutes, he's probably still going to beat me on 100 attempts, even though I – or a, a really smart person might study 10 minutes for a test. I might study three days for a test. He still might get an A, and I might get a C+. Plus. Um, so th there's, there's all – and I'm like, well, that, that, that's sometimes hard to live with, but all I could do is all I could do. Like I'm trying to the best of – like 100 hours is going to get me a C, I can't do any more than 100 hours. That's right. And we are all our own experts in knowing what is best effort. And I get a lot of athletes that ask, like, yeah. I don't know that I even know what my best effort is. We've all had classes where we hardly did anything in the class and we got an, you know, got an yep. A. And then we've had classes where we've worked harder than 
any other class we've worked on and we've gotten a C, but we're all feeling like that was a hard earned yes. C. I'm actually more <laughs> proud of that C in that class yes. than the A in this other class. Yeah. And that's a prime example of of knowing truly what your best effort is. Yeah, that is yeah. a good question. I hadn't thought of that aspect of it is to try to um, uh, identify, understand did you, I mean, because I can come in and say, hey, 100 hours. Well, how did you spend the 100 hours? Was it efficient enough? Was it this? Was it really your best 100 hours? So how do you navigate through that to make sure people are um, are maximizing what they can in the time they put in? Great question, Mike, because part, part of sports psych is, I tell this to athletes all the time, what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it, just like in anything else. Mm-hmm. And you have to be willing to be self-reflective. You have to sit down and think, well, was this my best effort? What does that mean to me? You have to be open to feedback. Mm-hmm. Others are telling me I could give more. Could I? Or I don't know. And and you have to be open to that process and be honest with yourself, which, you know, that's not easy for yeah. any of us. Yeah. Well, I think everyone thinks they're coachable until they start hearing some negative things about either their effort or their attitude or what have mm-hmm. you. And then the, many times the defenses stand up and you start trying to fight back a little bit. And sometimes that's the right thing to do. Sometimes it's not. How do you... How do you handle that with athletes in terms of when they get a little defensive when you're – not you specifically. Maybe it's a coach. Maybe yeah. it's one of your colleagues says, hey, how about this and this, and then the defenses kick up. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, and that happens. And it happens to all of us with maybe a partner, a marital partner. You know, sure. you're like, what? I do the dishes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Versus noticing, oh, there's some resistance here. They're getting kind of defensive. Rolling with that a little bit, so so I notice it. Feel you feel like I'm not picking up this accurately, or you're getting a little like. Tell me about that. So what do you think? Well, I think I do the yeah, I do the yeah. dishwasher. So I think being curious of each other, being curious of ourselves, rather than critical. Mm-hmm. And, and it's easy when you're trying to give feedback to sort of have it feel critical and or to give it in a critical way. And I think the goal is to help athletes and coaches and ourselves. Be curious about ourselves. Like, why did I get defensive when that person gave me that feedback? Mm-hmm. But also be curious about why are they getting defensive? Yeah. And curiosity, I contend trying to remove, keep out the judgment. Just be curious. So tell me, Mike, tell me about what happens when you try to do chores at home and, <laughs> you know, your spouse gets, you know, whatever it might be. She didn't notice <laughs> I did laundry. <laughs> Makes me right? mad, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean. Put that laundry course, bin right there. So I, I turned her white blouse pink because I put it in with something red. But outside of that, it was a great job. Um, uh, and then with coaches, too, because oftentimes you hear coaches, I hear coaches say it's really important to be honest and frontal and hit things head on. Um, does that sometimes they'll fly in the face of trying to get to the bottom of things? Or how do, how do you uh, walk that tightrope of, of being frontal and then defenses come up for somebody else? And I suppose there's a clash there, maybe. Is that, is that, a, is that a tap dance sometimes? Um, you know, I don't ever pretend to be a coach. Yeah. I just 100% respect their profession. I don't even know how they do it sometimes, particularly yeah. in today's day and age. It is an intense job. And I guess I always approach, and I, I think a lot of my colleagues in, in the field of sports, I try to take it as more of a, a consultation role. I will rarely, I try very hard never to step into a position and tell a coach what to do. Sure. I am not the expert there. And um, more so being, having curiosity or, or wonderment or tell me about this and how could I be of help or what are you hoping to see with your athletes and team, team it. Yeah. All right. So a few things in terms of sports psychology, uh, those are a few of the issues that you're, that you deal with uh, most with student athletes. Um, I think back to some things like uh, 
I remember. I don't know. I don't know when it started, but I remember just one as a as an athlete at, way back when I was younger doing things. But visualizations started to become kind of a. It must have been in the '80s at some point that you want to sit down and you want to close your eyes and visualize, um, and then. Uh, relaxation techniques and focusing techniques is that are those still top priority things in terms of trying to hit that peak performance there they are in the sense of they are um, heavily researched so there's really good science in fact I think imagery is probably one of the most researched mental skills psychological skills for performance and so while those are still anchors and important they're not everything Obviously, there's even newer science probably out of the last 10 years around resiliency Mm -hmm. and how to respond to adversity, how to respond in a way that aligns with your goals and that is actually productive and effective for you, your relationships, your team, et cetera. So there's quite a lot of skills there, but those are big ones. Yeah. And handling um, adversity or failure or what have you, this is the the age old cliche, the best baseball player in the world makes an out seven out of every 10 times he's at the bat, right? If you hit 300, you're doing well. So that means seven of those 10 times or 70 out of a hundred, um, you're, you're not achieving the goal of getting on base or, uh, you know, hitting a home run or, or whatever it would be. Um, so, when you are failing 70% of the time, how the, the bounce back, the, the, you know, it might make you mad for a second, but how do you, um, how, I'm sure it varies by athlete, but are there certain techniques to help athletes respond from various adversities from, from as little as a, like in my mind, okay, so you struck out, move on, play the outfield to anything all the way up to, you know, tragedy hits your life or whatever, you know? Absolutely. Um, like, and I, it, it's really back to that, growth mindset. And there's a book um, on growth mindset, if anyone's interested in reading more about it. It's it's this idea that whatever happens to us in our lives, from something small that we're embarrassed about to a trauma or to a significant form of grief or loss, um, you know, seven at-bats that you <laughs> strike yeah. out, that there is growth potential in all of it. There's opportunities to find purpose and meaning and learning in all of it. Now, that's very hard to tell someone who's maybe just lost a child. That is some of the science around resiliency is it doesn't need to be that day. Mm-hmm. I don't see any meaning in this baseball game that was a disaster today. Yeah. But being able to mentally teach individuals and teach kids, little kids, how to see these moments as all steps. And I loved, um, you know, recently I know that there's a Jordan movie that just came out yeah. and this idea um, that Jordan – you know, played in 15 championships, he won six, you know, were the other nine failures? Yeah. Or were they equally as valuable and important in steps and progression of growth and learning and wisdom and insight and fortitude and all this grit that he's gotten over those years and in those seasons? Well, shoot, maybe those seasons were even more valuable. Yeah. We don't know. They got him to win the title maybe two years from that point. Yeah. Or five years or what have you. Yeah. So the assumption that when bad, and I'm using quotes, bad, negative, adverse things happen that they're inherently terrible and we should avoid all that is really a a disservice to ourselves. And I think parents, I'm a parent of a 10 and 8-year-old. I'm very good at like snow plowing away all the adversity. Like, oh, we don't need that speed bump. Is that a mean fourth grade teacher? Let's try to avoid that teacher. We'll write an email and try to get this teacher. Appreciating that the more opportunities, natural maybe opportunities for kids to ride over the speed bump and realize, oh, whoa, that was uncomfortable, that wasn't fun, that kind of hurt, or that was embarrassing, but I I, I did it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think I, I 
think I know how to ride over speed bumps now, that then when they get to college or they get further in life and the speed bumps get bigger or the potholes get deeper, they aren't panicky. Yeah. over what to do and how to do it because they've learned how to be more resilient. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think meandering back into the mental, the, the traditional mental health as I think of it, side of it along those lines. And I think you and I had a little conversation after that podcast in May about the tough love part of it and the balance or the, the you know, not being sure of is, okay, is this a mental health issue or is this just someone that needs to get over a speed bump? Sure. And maybe it's a combo yeah. of that. Um, and I think some people, wow, we, we, we don't want to, we don't want to get too harsh here, but there might be times to do, to, to, to give them a push over that speed bump. How, how do you, with sports or with life in general, that that's probably a, the million, one of the million dollar questions, right? It's difficult. Yeah. A savvy pickup by you, Mike, and that I don't know that it's ever really all or one way or super clear. It's everyone's unique, of course, with that. Um, I think about when we all learn to ride a bike. And the parent is, you know, holding the yeah. back of the wheel of the bike. And you just know if you let go of that wheel or that seat, yeah. the kid's going into the yes. sidewalk, into yes. the ditch, and it's going to be a bloody knee yes. and crying. And there's going to be all. And, and yet, if you hold on to that seat, you rob them of the opportunity of ever learning how to ride a bike. Yeah. Even though you don't want to deal with, and you really don't want to see them in pain. But progressively, as you teach them to ride that bike, you, you do let go. Because it's good for them. And so I don't I, – I think it's hard when we get into the mental health that, like, trauma is not good, um, obviously. We would never uh, set up trauma. It's if trauma occurs, part of the healing is finding ways to work with it, find purpose and meaning for your life to move forward. Apart from trauma, there's life adversity that happens that gives us – opportunities to learn and grow and strengthen our confidence and our sense of empowerment that are perfectly healthy and normal. Yeah. And I, I bring this up too as part of the, uh, the this this vast gray area between those two parts because where someone may feel like they are struggling, I think old school would be suck it up, like let's go. But that might not be the right way to approach every situation, right? right. I mean, there might right. be, hey, this person doesn't need it to be told to suck it up, they might need a shoulder to cry on or they may need, you know, uh, a nudge or a hug or whatever. I don't know. And great coaches, great teachers, great mentors, great parents have the art of that figured out. They know how to coach each unique person mm -hmm. to what they need psychologically in that moment. Yeah. And then you have like on the other end of training adversity. Hey, Coach Fleck, a lot of our coaches, they'll they'll do different things that train some of the adversity as well. Yeah. Even, even in the weight room, I would think that there are times where um, your whole point is to push you to a limit to, you know, I've lifted, I'm just making a number yeah. up, but you lifted a hundred pounds and I want to, I want to someday lift 110 pounds. Well, you're never going to lift 110 pounds if you don't try to push and blow by that. And there's adversity just in that creation, right? Even though it's not a life altering uh, situation, it, it, um, it, it can serve as a, a, a mini lesson along the way too, right? Yeah. All right. So confidence. You mentioned confidence in one of the early uh, bits here um, and how it can it is a subtle thing. I was just uh, there's a there's a professional golfer from he graduated from Spring Lake Park. He's a veteran now. Troy Merritt's his name. He's been for years one of the better putters and he's won a time or two made a lot of money. Um, and I didn't I haven't followed him that closely, but I just saw last week he was tweeting out um, that he has struggled this year. He's only made a handful of cuts, and he has the yips, which is, you know, as you know, uh, a guy who's been one of the best putters in golf for 
a decade or more, all of a sudden can't putt. Um, so how does that happen uh, that this confidence level, uh, you're at, in his case, an elite level, like one of the top literally handful of putters in the world, and all of a sudden he can't find the bottom of the cup. He did play better last week, and and, and, it, and it was fun to, I mean, probably not for him, but he was had a back and forth on Twitter about the whole thing with, with some of the fans uh, with that. So I use that as an example, um, and I'm sure that there are all kinds of cases of confidence. So how often does that happen that an athlete will come in and say, gosh, I, I felt great about hitting a baseball or shooting a basketball or a goalie stopping a puck or what have you, and... I don't feel that good right now about it. It kind of ebbs and flows. So confidence is such a key thing. That might be, to me, when I think of sports performance, I'm thinking where you said that, you know, the, the, the differentiating line between being great and good might not be physical at all. Confidence has to be one of those key deals, right? Oh, so true. And so many athletes come in and say, if if I could just be more confident, I'd be amazing. Yeah. And it's this nebulous thing because it's, very personal sometimes as to why that person does not perceive belief in their abilities or they don't feel confident in themselves. And so you kind of have to start to explore that a bit. But the the yips, um, you probably saw in the uh, Tokyo Olympic Games with Simone Biles, the twisties. Yeah. Every sport, lots of acrobatic sports have terms, bailing, balking. Um, there's, there's quite a few terms in yeah. lots of sports around this sense of what the heck? Physically, I know my body knows how to do it. I've been doing it for decades. But like something has happened mentally that I yeah. can't, my brain will not get my muscles to do what it feels like it should be doing. Yeah. I really empathize with athletes in this experience because it is just demoralizing, frustrating, confusing, lonely because nobody else understands either and gets it. Coaches often feel helpless. And um, I, I thought Simone Biles' situation on such a public stage, global stage, mm -hmm. was a wonderful example of, you know, I just don't feel like I know where I'm at in the air. In that sport, gymnastics, is called the twisties, and it's terrifying. Yeah. It's really scary. And for a golfer, it's maybe less scary as much as it is just demoralizing yeah. at times. So I mean, there was a, a second baseman for the Dodgers, Steve Sachs, years ago, um, one of the best defensive uh, second baseman, and then he went through, I want to say, maybe two full seasons where he could barely throw the ball from second base to first base. I think Chuck Knobloch, the former twin, went through that. John Lester was a is a pitcher, and he could not throw the ball to first base, like like to, to hold the runner. So people were stealing on him on purpose because he just – he could throw 98 miles an hour right down the middle of the plate if he threw it to home, but when he threw it to first – he didn't know where it was going. So all those, it's just, um, there are, you know, sometimes they break through and all of a sudden you get it back. And sometimes sometimes it can end a career even. Very much so. Right? So that, you know, there maybe there isn't an answer, but are there techniques and processes that sports psychology can help with that to, to, to get you back to a point where you're back to performing at a peak level? Yeah. One of the main things, we do is actually with athletes, sometimes on the field or on the court or in their sport domain, often with coaches involved would be to start very small. You first educate on just relaxation, breathing techniques. A lot of elite athletes are already going to have that, but mm -hmm. they maybe are like, well, I don't usually do that. Yeah. Well, we're going to come back to that. <laughs> um, helping the body really relax because by this point, there's so much tension around it um, and almost secondary anxiety of worrying about it happening. 
um, that you really want to help with settling and getting those skills of relaxation solid and then starting really small. So just the way you learned how to putt, we can go back and we're going to start with how you hold, putt an inch, putt a couple inches. Um, In acrobatic sports, it will go – sometimes it goes all the way back to how you learned the skill when you were six. Almost relearning. Relearning. Relearning in increments, hierarchical kind of learning in steps or progression. Um, sometimes this can be the same system you might do with what they call exposure therapy for anxiety, where you would slowly, maybe if you have a fear of spiders, we might, you know, look at a picture of spiders. We might talk about spiders. We might bring one in in a locked container in the corner and slowly getting more exposure to it to realize, oh, small increments, I can make progress yeah. and build a bit of competency in that. Yeah. And even within a season, I'm, I'm thinking like even uh, basketball games I've done on the radio, there are guys who have played for Minnesota and other teams that Minnesota have played where I'll look, I always look for, you know, is a guy hot shooting, right? And, oh, yeah, he's, you know, 11 for 13 from three in his last three games or whatever. Or on the flip side, what causes a guy over the course of four games to go 0 for 23 uh, and all of a sudden you lose confidence and here's a guy that, shoots a thousand shots a day, whoever it might be. And sometimes all it takes is for one shot to go in after you miss 20 in a row and off they go and they're back to their old selves. Other times it's a season of struggles. Yeah. And there is um, kind of this, this, the, the science behind overthinking something that is a very well-learned skill. So uh, maybe driving a stick shift of a car. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're first learning to drive a stick shift, it, it is like tons of concentration, yeah. right? Maybe you're barely focusing on the road because <laughs> you're worried about your car, yeah. you know, stalling. Um, and then once it becomes a really well-learned skill, it shifts to a different part of memory in the brain. And then at that point, if you start thinking about how you drive a stick shift, You'll actually mess yourself up. It reverts a little. Yes. Yeah. So if I were to ask you um, here in, in the in the studio, Mike, like, okay, I want you to just you know walk to that wall and walk back. You'd be like, okay, Carly, yeah, yeah I've been walking since I was one. Right. I can do that. And you would say, tell me where you want me to go. If I asked you to think about how you walk, so I want you to think about like you know, do you put your chin at a 45, 90 degree? What's your chin angle at? And what's your cadence? And do you touch your heel first and then your toe? Or how does your foot go on the ground? And does your knee bend a lot or just a little? You'd be like, oh, no, Carly, that's too much to think about. Like that's, you're going to end up, if you were to do that right now, you would end up kind of walking awkwardly and feeling like, Carly, I'm overthinking. This is just too much. My walking is feeling impaired. Just tell me where to go. Yeah. And let my automaticity of the the skill, the instincts do it. And so this happens a lot with well-learned skills where athletes start trying really hard to be perfect. And they feel like, oh gosh, I have to make this putt. And they can sometimes start overthinking something that they really need to be thinking about nothing, which is hard because the brain's always on, but it could be distractions, it could be humor, it could be... Any, anything that they need to be aware of to let their body just do do its thing. Yeah, it's interesting because oftentimes when someone makes a big play or hits the big home run in the post game interview, you'll they'll say, "What what do you remember about it?" And oftentimes I don't remember it. It's beautiful. That is the, right. <laughs> that is the epitome of what they call in sports psychology flow. Yeah. Where they will say, "I was just in it. I was just playing. I was just doing. I was just in that task at hand." Kids are great at this. They're not thinking about what's to come and the play to come. They're not ruminating and dwelling and stewing on the last play. They are truly just in that moment doing. And best performances, when you ask athletes, what were you thinking about out there? They will almost all say, 
I don't know. I don't know. I was just in it. Yeah. Sometimes I have to go watch the replay to really remember what happened. You know, a linebacker makes a great sack on the blitz. What happened? I just ran to where my mind told me to run. That's right. You were just present. Present focus is huge for performance, peak performance. So confidence is so big. um, And through all of what we've just talked about, can you – does it have to come naturally? Obviously, you can have techniques. Can it be taught? Um, This is a great question. Yeah. So while most athletes and all of us will say, oh, if I feel confident giving that speech or that presentation in front of my coworkers, it'll be easy. Yeah, it's easy when we feel confident. Mm-hmm. Piece of cake. What's more difficult is when we don't and we have some self-doubt or questioning. And I, I, what I try to encourage as just one piece of confidence with athletes is thinking about confidence as a portfolio of experiences, but also a set of behaviors. So there's a lot of things in our life that we do every day that are emotion does not match. So, for example, you get up at maybe 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. because you really feel like it, like enthusiastic. Maybe if you're a person of, of a Christian or Catholic faith and you celebrate Christmas and Christmas morning, the emotion matches yeah. the 5 a.m. behavior. <laughs> right? Otherwise, probably not. Yeah. Right. So on Christmas morning, it might be really easy to wake up at 5 a.m. The other 364 days a year, ooh, the emotion is the opposite. I oh. hit snooze six times. Snooze! Totally, my husband would agree. You want to go back to bed, yeah. maybe unmotivated, right? But behaviorally, what do you do? Get hit up. snooze a few you times. Hit, it, and then, hit it once or twice and then get up. And then you get up. And you go to the bathroom, you brush your teeth, you get breakfast, you get dressed, you do all these behavioral things that you do. Why? The emotion said to go back to bed. Does I have to do it? Yeah. Used to it? Trained to do it? Yeah. Well, Why? It's a good question. I don't know. Most of us will do these behaviors, even though the emotion is the opposite. We will do the behavior because it aligns with our goals. I'd like to be good at my job. Mm-hmm. Or keep Keep job, my job. Or, yeah, right. Provide for my family, mm-hmm. whatever. And it aligns with your values. Well, I have integrity. I said I'd show up today at work at 8. I'm going to be there. I said yeah. I was going to be a member of a team. This team, we got to be there at 7, so I'm going to show up. So the goals and the values drive the behavior, not the emotion. Mm. So when you think about confidence, when athletes say, I just don't have the feeling, I either don't have the motivation feeling or I don't have the confidence feeling, that's okay. Welcome to being a human. (laughs) That's okay. In those moments, let's rely and be really clear on the portfolio of behaviors, the set behaviors that we can just commit to behave to do. So I'm going to commit to one of the behaviors I do when I am feeling confident um, or that I routinely do with my best performances is I communicate with my coach pretty regularly and I don't disengage. I continue to stay connected with my teammates and cheer them on. Okay, when I'm not feeling confident, I tend to shut down and get quiet. Oh, good delineation, Mike. Okay. (laughs) So regardless of the feeling, can you commit to engage in the behavior of going to talk to your coach and cheering on your teammates regardless? Well, yeah, it's going to be harder. I didn't ask you if it was going to be harder. Yeah. Those 364 days a year are hard. But you're doing elite sport. All of it's hard. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I guess I could do those behaviors. And then once we do the behaviors, we tend to help our results, which then help often we come around and feel like, oh, I actually did that, even though the feeling wasn't there. Sometimes it might be already I'm at the gym. Now I'm actually motivated. Sometimes not. 
But the fact is, is you're engaging in the behaviors that align with your goals and your values. Wow. That's that's really interesting because it reminded me, this is totally, uh, I mean, it, 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 it relates to this, but it's I did not have this as a plan to ask you, but I'm going to. This morning I'm driving into campus and I'm listening to um, our flagship station and Mark Parrish, who was a former hockey player, played for a bunch of different teams, was talking about his career. And toward the end of his career, he was kind of going year by year contracts. And he said at, at when he hit about 33, um, it was getting hard for him in the off season to stay motivated. You know, he had played enough in the league, and he said each year I'd open and then and, t- and I'm paraphrasing here a little. Yeah. If people want to go listen to that podcast <laughs> and listen to the show, um, but people know who Mark is, and he's a great guy, and he's on that show often. And I, and um, I felt for him a little bit because he said, eventually I find, and I'm, I'm again paraphrasing. I opened the trunk and I looked at my hockey gear. And I was at this age, and I looked at my golf clubs, and I said, I'm golfing, in essence. That, that was a paraphrase. But burnout, I don't think was – I don't think that would be the right term, but sometimes there does become a point, right, where that routine – I'm not getting up at five anymore. I'm going to find something else that doesn't make me get up at that. Or if you're lucky and you have a nice NHL career when you're 37, you can retire and go do other fun things. But um, how does that part play in, too, to try to keep stuff fresh that you aren't burned out? Because um, athletes burn out a lot. Yeah. You know, you, I look at – I grew up in Iowa. There were all kinds of kids who started wrestling. I'm sure in Minnesota – Hockey players are starting at five and six, and some of them, many of them end up in the National Hockey League. Some of them. It, it's not a high percentage, but in relative terms, Minnesota produces as much as anybody. Um, but a lot of those kids also, I probably figure, suffer from some sort of burnout at some point, and they're done playing the sport maybe earlier than, than we want. Um, and so this is a very broad question, again, based on what Mark said this morning, where eventually it just hit, yeah, it's not it, – it, it, that, that routine, that waking up, that – having that job or whatever, at some point you just move on to something else? Absolutely, Mike. Our, pr- our purpose changes, Yeah, which is okay and maybe healthy in a lifespan of 90 to 100 years <laughs> that, gee, I want to I wanna pursue a lot of things in this life. And it comes for people at different times in different ways, sometimes on their own terms, sometimes not, where it's time to go into a new endeavor yeah. or multiple endeavors. Or Priorities change. Yeah. You have kids. I promise if, if people haven't had kids yet and then they yeah. have kids, it is an overnight change in terms of what you thought was important yesterday is not nearly as important, yeah. right? And and that, right. and and that doesn't mean if you don't have kids, you don't understand what's important because those are what, what if you don't have kids, there are other things that are important. Maybe you have pets, maybe you have your job, what have you. But uh, I use that as just one life-changing event that, that can change. Yeah. Waking up at five in the morning, um, okay, I, I have kids now, I better wake up at five. Or I have kids now, I'm I'm going to find something else where I don't have to wake up at five, whatever it is. Yeah, I applaud him for knowing himself well enough to know when it was, when he felt ready to move on to a new endeavor. Yeah, for sure, right? And, and now within a, a much smaller case where it might not be, um, you know, a life change, but maybe within a season, an athlete is feeling either burned out or worn down. We saw some high-profile players. In fact, a couple guys in the Big Ten in basketball had to step away for a few weeks because things, and again, we're getting back over into some mental health part of this peak performance, but I suppose all of those things, those recharging of the batteries or what have you, um, can be a wake-up call. How do, how do you handle uh Generally, again, not to get into specifics, if an athlete comes and says, "I, it's it's a lot right now." So, what 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 are some techniques or ways that you uh, you try to address those issues? Well, on one more 
extreme sen- uh, continuum, like you said, with some of our the pro players, it, it may be a break from sport. Just like if you broke your foot, you're out for eight weeks till mm-hmm. the bone is healed. Yeah. We would never dream of having that person continue to play on a broken bone. So on significant mental health conditions, we need to be not pulling ourselves up from the bootstraps and trying to be tough. That is really dismissive of the condition, mm-hmm. like a broken bone. And we need to treat it the same way of like, okay, let's get good treatment for this. And it's a mind injury or yes, a, a brain yes. injury in some cases. It, yeah. yeah. We need to attend to it and get it help to a spot that's healthy. And you deserve that. And, um, you know, your life deserves that. And then there's maybe the, the other place where the reasons they're feeling burnt out or fatigued are are unique to their situation that you really want to sit down and explore with them? Is it some dynamic with the team or the environment? Is there something going on at home like you had mentioned earlier? There's a lot of reasons that athletes might be lack of control. I don't have that in the business world, burnout with employees, that's a big contributor is, is lack of autonomy and control over a schedule, things like that. Mm-hmm. So sit down and explore it and they're, they're going to usually know. <laughs> Peak performance, back to that issue because that's uh, – we, we got – I think we're having some fun, uh, you know, separating uh, topics here as well. But um, pregame uh, rituals, pregame routines, pregame speeches from coaches, has there been research done on that that, um, okay, I listen to this set of music and I'm really good and my teammate might listen to a totally different kind of music and he might be really good and one coach might be rah, rah, we're going to fire up and use, uh, you know, um, uh, props and one coach might be I'm going to write one word on the board and we're going to go out or I might not say a word. Um what what is the importance for an athlete in pregame routine to hit peak level? Great question. Definitely a pregame routine and a pre-performance routine. So they might be different. Mm-hmm. There might be a a routine that you do day before, morning of. Then there might be a routine that you do a, a pre-bat routine or a pre-shot routine that you do literally moments before. Sure. And those are well-backed in science and research that the consistency of that helps with the automaticity of, you know, where the brain goes, the body follows. Yeah. That, that what we talked about, big play, what did you do? I don't remember. It just is a – so it can help if that routine stays consistent before a game or within a – Within a free throw, for example, I know people will, I'm only going to bounce the ball three times, you know, this routine. So there's research at backs that there is some importance there. What I would delineate, or an important distinction, is the difference between routine and rituals. Yeah. Superstitions. Superstitions. (laughs) There you go. Rituals and superstitions can be risky. And I've had, you know, I've had divers who have to drop their chamois, that little rag that dries Mm -hmm. them off. At at the top of the board, they have to drop it in the exact spot. To feel like they can go and dive. Yeah. And so rituals, while a lot of athletes have, oh, my God, wear these socks. I got to roll them a certain way. They can be risky because there can be circumstances outside our um, control that prevent us from doing it. Mm -hmm. And then we panic because rituals tend to be a mechanism of trying to calm anxiety and and sort of luck and not a good mental strategy for peak performance consistently. I was going to say because sometimes I hear people say – if you um, if you think you look good, you'll play good. Or a coach will wear a tie and think that, and then they win, and he and he'll wear that tie until they lose again, or what have you. And the thought is, it, it certainly isn't, uh, you know, it, it's not causation per se, but in that person's mind, it might be. So, is it worth it? Because is that person thinking, like, like, do they gain confidence almost in a false way because they do that? I mean, it, it right? It, I mean, it can be quite 
<laughs> circular in that yeah. of a feedback loop, you know, like the behavior of I'm going to wear something, I'm going to put my hands on my hips and that's going to release more, you know, testosterone in my brain and make me feel more confident. There's all sorts of those behaviors. The big piece is if you weren't able to do that, psychologically, how would you be? Well, I'd freak out. I wouldn't be able to go. That's a problem. That's no good. That's no good. (laughs) So those are the ones where you're like, okay, then let's practice a few games without the socks. Mm -hmm. Because what if they rip or what if you forgot them or whatever? You want to just make athletes feel empowered that without that ritual, they would still be okay. But you do want to anchor them in a routine. And what I heard you say with the tie and some of that might be more their own individual's own unique way of preparing. Yeah. And – the messaging yeah. of values to themselves and those sorts of things. So everyone's unique with this. Everyone's yeah. got a yeah. uniqueness. Now, um, and, and, and sometimes this confidence, this is going to confidence and then pregame or whatever. There was a story, I can't remember the athlete, it was a female basketball player years ago, and she was on the scout team um, of this, and she was supposed to play the part of the other team that they're playing's best player, and she shot the ball all the time. So the coach said, I want you to be whoever. I forget. It was a star player of the other team. And so she she started to shoot every time she got it, and she lit him up. And she turned into a starter and an all-conference player. And she I remember reading the article that she pointed – she didn't know she had it in her. She had never – she didn't know she should even shoot 15 times a game. She was always just a team player, was good. And then that coach just said, you got to play the role of her. I want you to shoot all the time try to be unstoppable, thinking that she'd get stopped. And this player who was just a role player turned into emulating. All of a sudden she's like, holy cow, I had this in me and didn't know it. Um, I don't know if that goes into pregame routine or what have you, but sometimes some weird stuff like that can just wake up something, right? Oh, it's so cool. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, There's a theory called Bandura's self-efficacy theory of how we gain confidence. And one of the the tenets of that is vicarious learning, i.e. watching others do it. Oh, well, they're doing that. Or that's a thing now in the sport. We can do triple whatever. Oh, all right. And all of a sudden, the belief in ourselves of doing it goes up. Yeah. Nothing really physically changed about us. We just, the vicarious learning that can happen of watching others. And I think in this person's case, it wasn't, it was just that, she she never even thought that she was good enough to shoot. She she practiced. She was a good player. She was on a college team. But to shoot that much and to ball hog and to do all this stuff, and all of a sudden she lit up the starters um, and then became a, a good player. I wish I could remember who it was. This was this was a couple, probably 10, 12 years ago. But it just was all of a sudden, boom. It, so cool. It, it lit. So um, is there any research to pregame – uh, if a coach gives a rah-rah speech, if a coach gives a, a no speech, does, is there any – do they matter? Um, I, and I don't want to misquote here because I believe what I, when I last looked at research on this, they, they were maybe not as impactful as mm-hmm. people give them credit to be. However, I also I, – I, I say that carefully because yeah. I think every team is different and yeah. some athletes really respond to it. Coaches, you know, I think – well, and you and you hear, you you hear athletes. Well, the the Olympic team, nineteen eighty hockey team, they talk about the pregame speech that Herb Brooks gave, as if if he hadn't given that speech, we're not winning that game, right? So there there is there there has, there to, be has to be certain be, parts yeah. where you just oh man, you're pumped. You know, yeah. PJ Fleck yeah. gave that great halftime speech at Wisconsin about yeah. be a legend. Yeah. The first time they they did that in twenty in twenty eighteen, first time in fifteen years they did that. 
Now, would Minnesota was ahead at that point? Would they have won? Maybe. But guys talked about that was a little wake-up speech yeah, for them or the empowering, I guess. So Research th- is gotta aggregate. Be, yeah, so right? It's like an aggregate, whereas there, there, there's always going to be those ones that I think people are like, absolutely, that was right. impactful. Yeah, and then I'm, I'm sure yeah. there are other times where a coach gives a great rah-rah speech and, <laughs> and um, the guys might not respond as well. And so those are the ones that go into the into the not so good uh, setting. Let, let me do a quick commercial, and then I have a couple more. We're going long here, but it's great, compelling stuff. Uh, we want to thank Affinity Plus. They are your local credit union, proudly serving Minnesota since 1930. If you're a current Gopher student or a proud Gopher alum, you're eligible to join this financial that wants to build a meaningful banking relationship and put you first. You can meet with a local employee at any of their branches statewide. There's one just down the street from where we're at right now, right on University near the uh, football stadium. To learn more or find another way to connect, here's how you do it. Go to affinityplus.org slash gogophers, affinityplus.org slash gogophers, Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA. And we're thrilled that uh, within the last week or two, they've agreed to uh, stay on as a sponsor at, uh, for the coming school year for our Go Gopher podcast. So they've been with us for 78. They're going to be on with us for another school year, and they're great Gopher supporters. Affinityplus.org slash go Gophers. Um, setting goals um, I had on a list, um, and you have mentioned a couple different times of goals here, so I think I'm going to know some of the answer here, but how important is it for athletes who want to compete at a high level to set goals, and what are techniques with which to do it? Very important, Mike. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> yeah, and actually, I think this skill is is pretty important to teach young. Mm-hmm. And they there are some principles of effective or, or more effective goal setting. So being able to set um, an outcome goal. Okay, what is it that your 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 vision that you're wanting to pursue, and then the how. Back to the steps. How? What are our goals for the steps? The process goals and. Those are important, and they have some acronyms around smartest goals or things like that that uh, signify make the goal specific, not Mm -hmm. too vague where it's nebulous, like what are we aiming for, but let's get really specific, and the steps, how are we going to do this, measurable, how can we hold ourselves accountable to this and measure our progress and know if each week, each month we're moving in the right direction, and then when do we need to recalibrate and adjust, some things about um, time-bound when do we want to achieve this? And when do we need to be around this step to be able to be at that step at that year to be here by the Olympic Games, for yeah, example, or right. by the Super Bowl? And um, and so that's really important to, to do with coaches, to do with yourself, to do with your kind of that close-knit support team that is helping you, that you know as an athlete or as a performer, it could be a coworker, a boss, that you need to help you reach your goals. Um, and goal setting, like I am, you know, I'm at a point um, – where I'm not trying to compete at a high level, but I also um, to prepare even for a, a football broadcast. Let's say I'm doing the football game on on a Saturday. Um, I am a list maker, so I uh, people laugh at me all the time. I have lists, and I, I don't know if this if this counts as goal setting, but I have a I, I do have it's it is kind of we'll have our own little personal session here of of uh, of psychology. Um, I feel great as I check stuff off. I feel like I've accomplished something, even if it's little. Like, I will write everything down just to feel, well, I got that done. Like, I will write down, I'm going to watch a TV show tonight, watch the show, check it off, and feel, hey, I accomplished Satisfied. something, right? <laughs> now, that that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but I do. I, I make lists, um, one, because I'm getting old enough that if I don't write stuff down, I'll forget. <laughs> but two, um, the, this, is, this is what I have to do. Um, in, in fact, 
you'll really laugh because in the season I have a sheet. This is stuff I have to get done for the football broadcast. Uh, I interview PJ Fleck for the pregame show, email it in. I mean, just simple stuff. And they're not, it's not peak performance stuff, but it's stuff I have to do. I print, <laughs> I print that out and I have, I have the sheet. So every Monday I pull the sheet out and I put it on my desk. And then as the week goes on, I check those off. And then I have daily list as well. So I think in a weird way, that's probably a similar thing because I'm not, you know, I, I do want to be at peak performance. I want to announce a game well, and I, I I'm a process guy totally. You know, I'm not I'm not you know at risk like students are per se. Although when you talk for five hours in the air, you never know what might come out. But it, does that fall into that category? Is it is that is that healthy for people, or am I a weirdo in doing that? No, actually, you're you're exactly right. the The process of either making it visual for yourself and or saying it out loud. Mm-hmm can help with goal acquisition. And the, re- the frequency of revisiting that goal, you know, some people only say, well, I don't actually write it out or, or tell anyone outwardly, but I think about it, you know, weekly yeah. in the shower. Yeah. That's something I'm working towards. So those, those steps can be really helpful in achieving goals. I remember I was in high school. I was at a motivational speaker, and, and I don't remember the guy's name, but he said you should write your goals down um, and look at them every night before you go to bed. And I used to do that. I don't have that. I do have this list. I'll, I should show you how <laughs> Let's see this list. This is, this is how stupid this is, but uh, it's not. So this is my Monday. T- so at the start, I put skillful. down a list of what I have. So um, this is the podcast: uh, tape the intro, out, uh, outro, edit, upload, email. Don't forget the four o'clock sports podcast for next week. Podcast, Doctor Carly. When we're done, I'm going to X that off. Ooh, that's going to feel good. Email here. <laughs> uh, get tickets to the Iowa Nebraska game. I did that already. You know, so. And I click it off. But if I don't want, if I don't write it down, I'll forget it. But two, I live on these lists and I do feel good after I check it off. And I don't know if that is uh, stupid or not, but should athletes do that? If they want to, at some point, I want to hit 40% from three. And maybe that's not the right goal. Maybe it's, I want to shoot 150 shots a day or what what kind of, how would they do that? Yeah. So it might be if they had the outcome of um, a certain percentage, then the, the, the how or the process goals might be. Uh, something that will help me do that would be at least three of the five practices, I, I want to be more aggressive and take more shots. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of a practice, they would rate themselves, how well did I do in being aggressive or in taking more shots rather than did I make them? So it could be things like that if they want to be more outgoing with friends. All right, well, how am I going to go about doing that? And sometimes talking it out with somebody, writing it out for yourself, yeah. checking it off. <laughs> did I do that? Ooh, no, I didn't. Why not? Well, because I, I was avoiding it. It actually made me stressed out, and so I avoided it. Why? Okay, well, how am I going? What do I need to do to not put it off and procrastinate and avoid? Because the angst and the distress and the ooh yeah. might be there tomorrow, might be there next week too. So how am I going to now tackle that piece to help me reach my goals? To hit peak performance, like if, if I were to ask almost any athlete that walks the halls of this building, what's your goal? Many would say, I want to win a national championship. I want to win the Big Ten. Is it as simple as just saying that's my goal, or do you have to have other goals to eventually hit that benchmark? Yeah, you have to know how you're going to go about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. It makes sense. Um, let's see, mental toughness. That's another thing you hear a lot about. PJ actually has talked about that in the last couple of years, um, that he wants a mentally tough team. And it doesn't – of course he wants them to be tough on the field as well, but it doesn't mean – that you're picking fights or does it that there's some mental toughness fighting through the boredom of fall camp and all that stuff. So mental toughness, is that something some guys are just born tough? Some aren't um, how and I say guys just as a generic term, certainly women athletes as well. Um, what um, 
what 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 is the studies or is there a study on any research on mental toughness? Is that a coachable thing? Because um, you hear sometimes, oh, that guy's soft. He's not very mentally tough. Can you coach him or, you know, how, how? I think what coaches are usually going for in these moments, to athletes too, is a bit more of the, the, the mental fortitude when you hit adversity, much like we were talking about with, with the resiliency piece yeah. and being mentally adaptable and able to cope with things that are less than ideal. Mm-hmm. We all need that skill as a human. Yes, it's de- um, developable or coachable. We can all get better at it. We also have to be willing to do uncomfortable things. So it's, it, it, you know, sometimes it might be, well, when something doesn't go well, I like to get angry and throw the ball or throw my club and hit the bunny over there, yeah, you know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and get animated, not stay calm, not keep my composure because I want to make sure everybody else knows that I'm not happy with this result yeah. or I'm just so angry and frustrated. I, my emotions are flooding out right now, even though that, that response might not actually be all that helpful to the yeah. athlete for the next moment of the game, the next minute, the next play, or for their teammates. Teammates notice that too. Oh, he's losing it. Yeah. <laughs> or he's not composed. How are we going to rely on him? I've had many athletes that say, oh, I play my best when I'm just mad and you know, pissed. And, and while that, that may be true at times, it's, it's often not a reliable mental strategy to lean on for predictably best performance. Right. Because anger is impulsive. It is unpredictable. And it's not usually something we can easily just conjure up mm-hmm. the way a situation might bring it about. So you really want to have athletes thinking about um, what what are the things I do and how do I think about things in order for me to be resilient in times of adversity. Yeah. And that's usually, I think, what coaches mean by toughness. Sure. And it, I'm sure, like everything, it varies by athlete. You think of Jimmy Butler for the Miami Heat and – um, it seemed like in the playoffs, every time somebody either talked trash to him or challenged him, he answered and then some, plain angry. So for him, it works. Mm-hmm. But for others, there are guys that I'm sure the scouting report says you can get in his head, talk to him a little bit. He doesn't handle that very well. So I'm sure it varies in how each individual person might, you know, respond to that is is why you are here, right? <laughs> Figure those exactly. things out. Yeah. Crazy how, how that works. All right. Uh, the last one I want to talk to you about is getting over the hump in terms of winning. Uh, again, relaying it uh, or, or kind of tying it into a local event. Uh, Tony Finau won the golf 3M Open last year. Now, he had won a couple of other times, but it had been like three or four years, maybe five years since he had won. He won here. And it was a come-from-behind win in the last, uh, in the last round. And from there, and since then, so that's less than a year ago, it's about 50 weeks ago, he's won three more events, including the one the next week. I think he won back-to-back weeks. I think he won here and then went to Detroit, I want to say, and won. Um, what What is the research or is there research? Because you see this a lot that um, you work hard, you work hard, you're knocking on the door, you're knocking on the door. And is there a fear to win? Is there whatever? And then you finally win. And I'm not saying it comes easier, but all of a sudden you realize I can do it. Is there, is there some research that shows that once you break through, I suppose that's why teams, there's dynasties and there's different things mm-hmm. because, you know, you're playing all of a sudden and the mental part of it becomes different. Yes. Yeah. Athletes will say, oh, now I know I belong. Yeah. You know, now I'm not intimidated. Now I know it's, I'm capable and it's possible. On the flip side, there can also be the, I'm the defending champion. Now it's easier to be the underdog and play. I have nothing to lose. Now I have something to lose and yeah. that whole mindset. So. 
um, you should you should interview him to yeah, see. Yeah, I should. <laughs> I should see. find out. I yeah. think he has said that it did. It felt good to yeah. break through. You went to UCLA, right? So I use this as a. I have no idea what the answer is or if this is true, but they went to the final four. Was it two or three years ago with a team that was one of the last in the field? They had the play-in game for the NCAA tournament. Um, they weren't that great during the year. They somehow make a run to the final four, and it was great. Um, in fact, uh, Campbell, Tiger Campbell, the um, the point guard for that UCLA team, his dad uh, uh, played uh, at the college I went to in, at Luther College. Tony Campbell was his name. Um, he was a couple years younger than me. But it, uh, the that that team then the next year, the preseason poll came out, and they were ranked like sixth. And I'm like, what are, what are they talking about? They got on a little bit of a lucky run. They weren't barely in the tournament. They got on a run. They made the final. They're not going to be any good. They got everybody back from a Final Four team. I'm like, but it wasn't really a Final Four team. But guess what? They've been good ever since. Getting to me, my theory is they got to the Final Four and realized we're a Final Four team. And then they basically have played like it for the last two or three years. Can that is that? That happens. Yeah. Yeah, that happens. Now, they have some guys in the NBA that were off that team, so they obviously were pretty good. Maybe they were underachieving and then finally hit their stride. I don't know, but whatever it was, I remember thinking, why are they in the top 10? Like, they weren't that good last year. They were barely in the tournament. I don't care if they got everybody back, but, boy, they were, they've been basically a top 10 team since that mm-hmm. time. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I'm not even sure what the question is, but getting they they and they didn't win at all, but they did kind of break through. I mean, the Final Four is a is a marquee thing to get to, and all of a sudden they're starting to play like you know they they started to play that way. Mm-hmm. So maybe mm-hmm. there's something to that. Definitely a belief. I mean, in the simplistic form of belief in ourselves or belief yeah. in our team and our capabilities is pretty darn powerful. As is the opposite. Yeah, that's what I was going to say on the on the flip side of that. So now you've broken through. You know, how do you handle success, which probably is is um, a challenge at times too, right? It is. It is. And you're only, you know, trying to not measure yourself by outcome. It's sort of like, okay, we got the outcome here, but there's no guarantee. So back to work tomorrow. Yeah. Regardless, if we get the outcome or we don't get the outcome, back to work tomorrow. Well, you've got me pumped up. I'm only going <laughs> to hit snooze at five tomorrow morning twice, not the usual three times. No. <laughs> me too. My, I hit example. snooze. <laughs> <laughs> I got to, you know, you have to. Now, I, I, in all honesty, my alarm does go off at 3 a.m. in the morning. So oh my gosh. Uh, I snooze on purpose till 3.20 and then. Off to work I go. So there you go. Fun times, right? Fun times. Well, it's been fun. Let's do it again. Um, And it was again. I invite people to go back and listen to the uh, to the mental health show that we did in May, episode seventy one. This is episode seventy eight. So I guess it'd be six or seven episodes ago. Um, We want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you. the athletic season is going to be here before we know it. Before we know it. Yeah. Very fun. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, good to see you. It's episode 78. I hope you enjoyed another terrific conversation with Gopher Director of Sports Psychology, Dr. Carly Anderson. You can find out more about all the great work she and her staff do by logging on to gophersports.com and finding the Sports Psychology page. You can also go to premiersportspsychology.com as well. My thanks to Dr. Carly Anderson for spending time with us during a busy schedule here on the Go Gopher Podcast, Episode 78. We're presented by Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're buying or selling a business, visit sunbeltminnesota.com or tnma.com today. We're also partnered with Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union, a locally member-owned full-service financial invested in you. You can learn more at affinityplus.org slash go gophers. That's affinityplus.org slash go gophers. If you're 
you're a Gopher alum or a Gopher student, it means you're eligible for membership at Affinity Plus. AffinityPlus.org slash GoGophers for all the details, and we thank them again for jumping on board for another school year of the Go Gopher podcast. We're also sponsored by State Farm agent Tony Hoagland. Again, I'd invite you to listen to past podcasts, and please right now click the subscribe button to the Go Gopher podcast. It's free to do that and free to listen. And please be sure to share the link to the podcast with others so they can subscribe and listen as well. We'll talk again next week.